Well, let's ask God's blessing upon the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us majestic things in your word. Mysteries beyond our comprehension, but Lord, truths to lay hold of, to grab hold of, to take with us along the road of suffering unto glory. We pray that this would be the case as we look closely at this transfiguration of your son this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are some passages in Scripture that just make your jaw drop. And this is one of them. As I came to this text, I couldn't help but feel, boy, just in in, in complete awe of what is happening on this mountain, of what really happened on this Mount of Transfiguration. The mountain, the glory, the cloud, the voice, the sights and sounds of this mountaintop experience are almost too much to take in at once. But the question for us this morning is this. Why this dramatic scene? Why does Jesus go through the, through the trouble of hiking all the way up this mountain to unfold this scene to three disciples, Peter, James, and John? And the answer, I believe we'll find as we look into this this morning, is that Jesus is determined to encourage his disciples after what they just heard him say. Now, what did Jesus just say? Well, Luke reminds us, he gives us a a clue at the beginning of our passage that we really need to read this mountaintop experience in light of what just happened and what's about to happen. He says, eight days after these sayings, he went up on the mountain. Well, what happened eight days before? Well, Jesus said some pretty shocking things about his ministry. Remember back to Brad's sermon two weeks ago. Peter had just made that triumphant confession. You are the Christ of God. That confession filled with glory and excitement. And Jesus says, yes, Peter. But guess what that means? It means that I'm going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Wow. Now that's probably not what they expected. And then he throws them another gut-wrencher. Oh, and by the way, if you want to follow me as disciples, then you have to deny yourself daily, take up your cross, and join me on that same road of suffering. You can imagine how the disciples felt when they heard these words of Jesus. They must have felt deflated, discouraged, 
Here's their master they've been following, and they had such triumphant hopes for him. But Jesus is going to suffer and die? What about his mission? What about his glory? And how can he call us to this road of suffering? Won't we share in glory with him? Well, Brad noted at the end of his sermon, all the way back in verse 27, that Jesus intends to give them a glimpse of his glory. He says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So a lingering word of hope at the end of his discouraging, unsettling words about suffering and death. What do these words mean? Not tasting death until they see the kingdom of God. Well, These are difficult words, we have to admit. But I think that we see at least part of this being fulfilled in our passage this morning. We see, at least in part, a little sneak preview of the kingdom of God coming in glory. In our passage this morning, Jesus prepares his disciples and he prepares us for a long road of suffering by giving us a sneak peek of the glory which is to come, his glory. And I want us to look closely at three aspects, three glimpses of that glory this morning and then think about what it means for us. first glimpse of glory is the transformation of Jesus himself, the so-called transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus takes his inner circle of the disciples, Peter, James, John, and together they, they hike up a mountain, and when they get to the top, they begin to pray. Now remember that whenever you see prayer, the Son of Man bowing his head in prayer in the Gospel of Luke, your ears should perk up, your eyes should open, because it means, it's a signal, something grand is about to happen, something important is about to be stated about this Jesus. And that's exactly what happens. One moment, Jesus is praying. And the next, he is visibly transformed, transfigured. Luke says this, the appearance of his face was altered. He could barely find the language to describe what's happening here. And Matthew tells us even more in his gospel, his face shone like the sun. Imagine standing before the full brightness of the sun with no sunglasses to shield your eyes. It's almost too much to take in. Even Jesus' clothes shine with his glory. Mark says this in his gospel. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And listen to Luke. His clothes became white like a flash 
of lightning. Now, kids, how bright is a flash of lightning? It's so bright that just one streak across the sky lights up an entire night sky. It's so bright that you have to shield your eyes. It's like the grand finale of a firework display on the 4th of July where all these colors and lights and white and green and red are exploding across the horizon. And you just, eyes wide open, taking it in. Wow. Here is Jesus. Shining like the sun, brighter than a thousand firecrackers on the 4th of July. And his disciples wake up from their sleep to take it all in. You can imagine their eyes wide open. The brilliance of Jesus' radiance sparkling in their eyes. What's happening here? What is Jesus showing them? What is he showing us? Jesus is pulling back the curtain. He's pulling back a veil to show us something of his true identity. Something that we have not seen in this crystal clear beauty yet. Because up to this point, one thing's been for sure. It's that Jesus is fully human. What what has he been calling himself? The son of man. The one who is descended from Adam. According to the flesh. But now we see what's been hidden from our eyes. Another side of the story. Another side that has always been true and always will be true. We see the same glory which shone out of the burning bush with all its radiance. We see the same glory which followed Israel as a cloud by day and as a pillar of brilliant fire by night. The same glory which you heard appeared on that mountain, Mount Sinai, in Exodus 24. The same glory of the Ancient of Days described in Daniel chapter 7. We see the glory of God in this text. And that glory of God isn't just reflecting off Jesus. It's radiating from Jesus. It's shining out of his very being. Yes, Jesus is fully human, but he's also fully divine. Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Wow. What an encouragement to the disciples. This, the same one, the same Jesus who said, I'm going to suffer and die and be raised. And guess what? I'm calling you on a path of suffering. That same one is Emmanuel, God with us, present with us in our suffering, and the one who gives us a glimpse 
of that glory on the other side of suffering. But there's more. We see a second glimpse of glory when two visitors join Jesus up on that mountain. And who are they? Who are those visitors? Ah, Just Moses and Elijah. (laughs) Moses and Elijah! Just think about how amazing that is. Here's Moses. He died 1,400 years before this. His bones were laid to rest. And Elijah, well, he's been gone for 900 years, but here they are having a meet and greet with Jesus up on a mountain. That alone would be such an encouragement to the disciples, an encouragement to us. There is glory to come on the other side of suffering. And Moses and Elijah, they knew suffering. They knew cross-shaped living for their God. But they also knew glory. But why these two men? Why Moses and Elijah? Why not Abraham and Noah? Well, I think, I think we can find several solid answers to, to, answers to this question, which fill in the glory of what's happening here. First, both of these men are mountain men of the Old Testament. They knew a lot about mountains, and they knew a lot about encountering God's glory up on a mountain. In fact, we heard about that, right? Exodus 24. It's remarkable, the similarities. I think God is trying to make us see something. Moses goes up with three men onto a mountain. The glory of God descends in the form of a cloud. Fiery brightness and brilliance coming out of that cloud. A voice thunders from that cloud. I could show you that Elijah has a similar experience up on a mountaintop. And so they're very fitting to be the ones talking with Jesus on this mountain filled with glory. But we can say even more than that. These two men, Moses and Elijah, they represent the entire Old Testament. They're like ambassadors coming together, and their very presence says, Hey, the Old Testament is here. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And so their very presence on this mountain says something extremely significant about Jesus. Here we see the entire Old Testament pointing to the authority of Jesus. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 5.17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, Moses, and the prophets... Elijah, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And here he is doing just that in his glory. Fulfilling everything that the Old Testament is about. But there's a third answer to the question. Why Moses and Elijah? And we see it in what they're talking about, their topic of conversation on the mountain. Look at verse 31. What were they speaking about? 
I'm going to change one word, and then I'll explain why. They were speaking about his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And I know you're saying, I'm I'm looking at my Bible, and the word is departure. Yes, it is. But that, that's, your, your Bible might even have a footnote to make crystal clear the English word departure is translating the Greek word exodus. So Moses and Elijah are, are literally up on the mountain talking about an exodus that Jesus is about to do in Jerusalem. We know what he's about to do in Jerusalem because he's told us. He's going to go and he's going to suffer and he's going to die and he's going to be raised. And Moses and Elijah call that an exodus. Well, Moses and Elijah both know something about what it means to lead an exodus. Moses could say to Jesus, in fact, Remember my exodus. Remember my departure. I led God's people out of their slavery in Egypt and all the way to the edge of the promised land. But now... But now I see that all of that was just a dress rehearsal for what you're about to do. For the new exodus that you're about to lead. You're about to go and free people from their sins. Through your death. Through your resurrection. And then Elijah could say to Jesus, I led an exodus too, Jesus. Don't you remember? I departed this earth on a fiery chariot. An exodus into the sky. But now I see that was just a preview, just a sneak peek of what you're about to do. You're about to ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of your father. You're about to lead your people on a new exodus, a greater exodus, through the suffering of the cross and to the glory of your heavenly kingdom. What an encouragement. What an encouragement to the disciples as they walk along this road towards Jerusalem. Jesus' face set like flint to go and do his mission. That they would know that that mission had a purpose. And that purpose was to free people from their sins, to lead a new exodus out of bondage, out of slavery, and into the glories of a heavenly kingdom. This suffering is not for nothing. It has a great purpose, a great mission statement. And can't we say the same thing, too, as we suffer? That Jesus has already led the way. He's already taken us through those waters of judgment, and he's going to bring us all the way to the promised land through suffering and unto glory. Well, Peter has just barely uh, heard this. He's barely woken up, in fact, rubbing his sleepy eyes, taking in the glory. when he blurts out the first thing that pops into his mind. And if there was ever a time to keep silent, you think it would be here. But Peter isn't that good with silence. I guess neither are some of us. Verse 33, here's what he says. Master, it is good that we are here. 
Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Luke adds in parentheses to make this really clear for us. Peter didn't know what he was saying. Well, Peter does have one thing, right? It is good that they're here. It's really good. They're they're taking in this glory. But then he entirely misspeaks. And, And here's what's so wrong with his proposal. It puts Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. Three tents on an endless mountaintop retreat. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah hanging out together. And Jesus had just made abundantly clear, he's just made very clear to us, that he is the greater Moses, the greater Elijah, the one who is going to lead an exodus that is greater than theirs. That fulfills theirs. And we have to notice that Peter's proposal leaves Jesus up on the mountaintop in an endless bliss. But that can't be. Because what does Jesus have to do? He has a mission. He has to suffer, he has to die, and he has to be raised for sinners like you and me. So Peter has just barely misspoken these words when the voice of God booms across the mountaintop to correct him. And we get a third glimpse of glory with these climactic words. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. All through the Gospel of Luke, up to this point, we've been looking for an answer to that question. Who is Jesus? What is his true identity? And we've heard many answers to that, right? We've heard, he is the one who controls the winds and the waves. He is the one who forgives sins. He is the Son of Man. He is the abundant provider. He is the Christ of God. All true. But here we hear the ultimate clarification from the highest authority possible. God himself. Jesus is God's son. He is the radiance and glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Exactly what we saw visibly with his radiance on the mountain. And not only that, he is God's chosen one. He's that suffering servant of Isaiah who is set apart to die for the sins of the people, to suffer for their sins, and then to lead a new exodus unto glory. Jesus is the Messiah. And just in case we missed that message, God gives us a visual cue to drive it all home. Did you notice that in verse 36? And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. The the cloud, the glory cloud, rolls over the whole scene, covering Moses, Elijah, Jesus, covering the disciples. And then when it rolls back, who's there? 
Moses and Elijah gone. But Jesus, Jesus is there. It's like, it's like a crystal clear confirmation. This is the one. This is the Messiah. There is no other. And finally, the disciples fall completely silent. The proper response to hearing the voice of God booming over a mountaintop. They, they don't even have the words. How, how could they even tell someone what they'd experienced? They still have so much to learn, so many pieces of the puzzle to put together. But one day, when they see Jesus again with this glory after the resurrection, they'll have something to talk about. Well, how do we respond to these glimpses of glory? The voice of the Father tells us, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. That's what all this glory is driving at. It's, it's, each of these glimpses is like another arrow pointing its way to Jesus, saying, this is the one that you trust. This is the one that you listen to. Overwhelming us with his majesty. Authenticating his message, his mission, his person. So that we finally shut our mouths and say, okay, Jesus, speak to me. Disciples could listen to him all the way to Jerusalem. And now we have the privilege to listen to Jesus from his word as he speaks to us. What do we listen for? Listen to Jesus as he calls you to take up your cross and follow him. That's so hard. We want to sign up for the Christian life. But not for suffering. But Jesus says, listen, you've seen my glory. Listen to me. Take up your cross and follow me. And then listen to him as he calls you to turn away from the fading glory of this world. The fading glory that this world promises. You know what this world promises you? It promises you a mountain exper mountaintop experience now. It promises you instant gratification here and now but followed by suffering, endless suffering. Jesus says, listen to me now as I promise you from my word something far better. Follow me on the road of suffering. Fix your eyes on my glory, and I'll bring you all the way to the glory of my heavenly kingdom. Are your eyes fixed on him? Are you listening to this glorious Jesus? Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see this mountain of glory here. But even more than that, to listen to your word. An even more sure pronouncement than the pronouncement on that mountain. Lord, help us to trust Jesus, trust what he says, because he is your son. He is the chosen one. He is our Messiah. Teach us this this morning, we pray. In his name. Amen.